Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Friday, January the 18th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Two months ago, Potter Tobin announced his resignation from Sinn Féin, saying that restrictions imposed upon him by the party over his views on abortion had, and I quote, prevented me from fully representing my constituents. Since then, the Meath West TD has been organising meetings across the country as part of a plan to set up a new All-Ireland political party, and he's already signed up some 1,400 members to that party, along with nine elected representatives north and south. He's here in the Irish Times with our political editor Pat Leahy and myself to discuss the new party, how it's going, what views it's seeking to represent and what its political prospects are. Pat Tobin, you're very welcome to the studio. Uh, you were telling me just before we started recording, you're extremely busy at the moment. You're out at meetings every night. We are. We've, uh, we have 34 public meetings organised across the country in the space of about two and a half months, if you take Christmas out of it. And uh, we've probably uh, gone to about 13 public meetings so far. I estimate that about 3,000 people have attended those meetings so far around the country. And we hope to have at least another 3,000 attend by the time we're finished. Uh, the purpose of those meetings, I suppose, is, is first of all to introduce the political projects that we're involved in, uh, to make sure that uh, people around the country who feel that they have no voice in Leinster House know that we aim to be their voice, uh, people who feel that they're disenfranchised by the uh, groupthink that exists in Irish politics feel that they have a voice. And also, it's a very practical element to the meetings we're having. Every time we have a meeting, we get about 120, 130 people who sign up for membership. And those membership then we, we literally assign to local areas uh, and develop uh, common as a result of that. Because uh, we, we know that for one, we need for success to be an activist-based organisation, a grassroots organisation. And two, we know that in politically, society needs that too uh, in it. Uh, and right now we have common like mushroom popping up all around the country. We had, I think, one in Monaghan set up on Monday night Cavan on Tuesday night, we had one in Mullingar last night uh, and we're just developing this network now of activist-based coming around the country. And you don't have a name yet or are you just about to announce a name? We do have a name but unfortunately I can't divulge a name. I'll go on. Uh, I'd love to, I'd love to. You won't tell anyone. (laughs) Um, It's between us. We're sworn to secrecy. It's been registered currently and um, there can be many of a slip in these processes or delays so rather than uh, announce it and then be told for some reason that we can't use it mm-hmm. it's just logical that we're just going to hold our fire until But to be hoping for that within the next what couple of weeks? Yeah it's we lodged our papers for registration uh, north and south uh, at, at least well, a week and a half ago at this stage and the process can be anything from two weeks to four weeks uh, in either jurisdiction depending on uh, if there's any uh, clarifications needed so we have the name uh, organised we've had our, our first or Cordia meeting. We've had our constitution uh, organised. Uh, we're developing in-depth policy, which I hope to be able to uh, publish at the end uh, of this month. Uh, we have about 1,400 people who have signed up to the organisation so far. We've nine elected reps uh, totally who have declared for us, which is, 
I think astounding really because not being not having a name, not being fully registered, we still engendered the confidence of at least eight other people other than me to say, you know, we're going to leave our political uh, parties and we're going to join in this political and project. And where have they come well. from? Uh, they've, we've have an SDLP councillor involved, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, uh, and independents, and um, and some of those independents would be formerly of Sinn Féin as well, but would be let's say pure independents if if you like uh, getting involved too. Uh, and I'm talking to about I suppose another thirty elected reps across the country, and um, some of those I'd say are very very close to getting involved as well. And again, they would be typically from that political background. You know the meetings that we're, we're coming to. I, we had a uh, you know um, a full Fianna Fáil coming at our Wexford meeting there recently. We actually it was very interesting. I believe we had the chair of the Fianna Fáil Court Counter at the meeting, but I don't think the the chair was there for to join. I think the chair was there to see who else was attending. <laughs> so I thought it was interesting taking notes or pictures. It is, but it shows you though where Fianna Fáil are at to a certain extent when they actually know now there's a flow of membership away from their organisation uh, into this new organisation. And is that a significant well. part when you say that the the thousands of people who showed up at these meetings so far are people who feel that they're they're not getting a voice? Are are many or most of them people who were previously in Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil or other political parties at some point? I would say that the three biggest sources of energy are, or maybe the four biggest sources of energy are independence, SDLP, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin. There are people coming to us from the other organisations, but there'll be much smaller numbers. Uh, and, um, but it's, it's clear to me that many people in Fianna Fáil um, and Sinn Féin would feel that the leadership of those political parties are going in the opposite direction than they want to go. Uh, some people have said to me that the leadership of those political parties are actually doing damage to their core values. Now, I'd be talking to people and people would say, you know, I've been in the party for 20 years, I've friends, I've comrades, it's uh, very difficult to extricate yourself in that scenario. But I would say, you know, politics is not a social club. Politics is actually much more important than that. And yes, the ties that bind us together are important. But if you're a member of a political organisation that's doing damage to your core values, in effect, you're actually complicit with regards to that damage too. And one of the, the key aspects of what we're about is we live in a society where on a, on a range of issues, most of the political parties have congregated uh, on exactly the same space and time. So we would have people come to us and say, listen, I no longer know the difference between uh, Lisa Chambers, Ruth Coppinger or Louise O'Reilly on a range of subjects. And the reason that is because there isn't any difference between those uh, three parties on a number of key subjects. And in a functional democracy, it, ac- it actually is very dangerous when you have so much convergence politically. Because what that means is, one, you don't have, you know, that devil's advocate, you know, testing and questioning all the time the establishment's views and issues. But the other issue is that you don't have a, you have a significant proportion of Irish society then who just have no voice at all in Leinster House. And logically, Leinster House, our Stormont, should have, you know, in proportion... It's a voices similar than they exist outside. Uh, and when you don't have that, you push people to the margins. And when people get pushed to the margins, they get frustrated and angry and they start to vote for the people from the margins. And um, I've been of the view that, you know, that's what's happening to a certain extent in the States, in Britain and even in France. There is a, a whole section of society that feel they don't have a voice. I want to tease out some of those ideas a little bit more in a minute, but but Pat, you've attended, one of, you were at um, one of Patrick's meetings in Navan a few weeks ago. Yeah, um, a couple of weeks before Christmas, um, I attended uh, the meeting uh, that Patrick and his organisation ha- held in Navan. And uh, I wrote about it in the paper. I think we, we discussed it a bit uh, in, in this studio. I was certainly 
uh, impressed with the numbers and the enthusiasm now. It was, of course, a hometown gig uh, for the Tobin clan. Uh, so that has to be, uh, I suppose that has to be factored in. But I've been following the progress of the meetings around the country as well. And I've been looking at uh, the reports in local papers and so forth. And uh, he is clearly tapping into something. He's getting numbers, attending the meetings. He's signing up people. He's got nine public representatives, north and south, uh, uh, as he says. No TDs yet, and maybe he can tell us where he is uh, on that, because I think that the thing that would really turbocharge the, uh, the, the organisation in terms of its national profile would be if he, uh, if he attracts a couple, of, uh, a couple of TDs. If he can get two more TDs into it, he's, uh, he's automatically bigger than the Green Party or the Social Democrats uh, in, uh, in, in, in dull terms. Almost as big as Renewal were. Indeed. Uh, uh, indeed, we know we, we, we know what happened there. I mean, I think that, uh, and uh, again, I wrote about this a bit uh, in, in, in the paper, maybe Pat can tell us about it, but I think that the challenge for him will be to extend the party's political brand and its appeal beyond uh, uh, people who, uh, who, who voted pro-life in the, or voted against the, um, the change to the constitution last year. Because it seems to me, certainly observing the, 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 Navin, uh, the Navin meeting, that that is the, the, the pool of support in which he is fishing. And, you know, he mentioned there that there's no difference between Lisa Chambers and Louise O'Reilly and Ruth Coppinger. But really, the only subject on which there's no difference between them is on abortion. While abortion is a very important subject for many people, it will, I think, cease to be a defining political brand uh, as we go forward. Let's, Let's put that to you. Yeah, first of all, just with regards to numbers, and, and Pat's right, we had big numbers in Meath, but we had 220 people in Galway last night, we had 250 people in Castlebar, we had 270 people in Donegal, we had 350 people in Cork. So the numbers are consistently high right across the country. Uh, this, uh, you, you mentioned obviously around TDs, uh, etc. And to be honest, I, I haven't been talking to TDs at all in the Dáil for, uh, for a long period of time, because my instinct on this issue is where other parties failed previously is because they've been top down. Uh, I've always believed that there's two wars in politics. There's the air war, which is the media war, but then there's the ground war, which is the activist-based war. And actually, where if you can build a grassroots organisation, uh, if you can build you know, activists across the country uh, that are actually fully in- engaged and immersed in their communities, I actually think you can't be beat. Uh, and so we're building that first and foremost. And secondly, then, we're talking to the next level, which is the local uh, election and local authority levels. That's where the elections are going to be in in May. We know that. And I'm hopeful that we can bring that figure up to 15. We've already passed out the Social Democrats at local uh, government level, even though we're on the go about six weeks compared to their three years. I have no doubt we'll pass out the Green Party very shortly and um, with regards to people coming to us. Uh, with regards to uh, policy, and it's, it's funny because um, this, this chestnut arises on a regular basis. There are three engines, I would say, to our political organisation at the moment. For sure, the, the rights of life, the human rights of life is, is, is one of those. Uh, Irish unity is another one. Uh, and economic justice is another. So I find in these meetings, there's probably uh, people are coming to us in those types of um, proportions, if you like. Now, every political party has, uh, has a, a, um, a policy on abortion and a raft of other political parties. 
we have a policy on abortion and a raft of other political uh, policies as but well. It, it, it struck so, me but but that, the point that, is, the point is, like nobody ever introduces, and we have a member of the Labour Party here who are the pro-abortion party. No, or, but you are in the process. You know I mean? To be fair, so, you are in the process of setting up a new party, and that has arisen out of a process where the party of which you are a long-standing senior member, you have parted ways with them on this issue, and this is the clear point of differentiation. To my mind, to correct me if I'm wrong, between you and what you described as the very similar uh, Fianna Fáil, um, Solidarity and Sinn Féin TDs. Well, so you I, I, I think there's probably another element to that. There is this idea of pluralism. We, we, we would see ourselves as solidly a pluralist party. There's two types of secularism uh, in, in the world. There's a secularism that seeks to delete, let's say, religious and cultural expression from the public domain. And then there's another secularism that allows and seeks for the, the diversity of religious and uh, cultural expression uh, to actually flourish uh, within uh, the public domain. It's that second type of, of pluralism that I would espouse too. So, for example, you would have a lot of pressure coming on board now with regard to schools and patronage, etc. Now, I think there are far too many Catholic schools in the country. I think many of those Catholic schools should be divested from, uh, from the Catholic Church. But I would stand by the point that in, in the end of the day, parents should have the choice with regards to the the patronage of the particular schools and the ethos of those particular schools with regards to the education that they're receiving. Now, I, I, I would tell you that, you know, it's my view that most of those three parties are actually converging on an opposite view, that there should be a uniform patronage and ethos uh, developing in our school system. And all I'm saying is that that would be a, a, another uh, point of differential. With regards to uh, uh, United Ireland, you know, we would see ourselves as different to Sinn Féin in that we would see we want to unite uh, a unity of the Irish people. There are many people from a, uh, from a Protestant background that we're talking to in the north of Ireland who would actually see us as a vehicle towards uh, that unity who might not be able to get involved uh, in Sinn Féin. And, you know, there's, there's no doubt in my mind, I believe that Sinn Féin have actually missed a number of, of serious uh, important steps over the last number of years with regards to Irish unity. The first one being is, you know, the, uh, the All-Ireland economy was uh, lauded at the time of the Good Friday Agreement as an opportunity for to benefit everybody uh, on the island of Ireland. And yet we've seen precious little development of that over the last number of years. I carried out an in-depth report of it in Leinster House, the first person to do so since partition. And that report, I interviewed 100 people from across the border, uh, business people, trade unionists, uh, the uh, farmers, people within the, the communities. And all of them said that if we plan together, fund together and deliver services together, those services will be better. And actually, at this time of Brexit, fear in all Ireland's economy being developed would be one of the best way to ameliorate the damage that Brexit would, would, would bring about. Also, I would see that the border as a wall with a thousand blocks. Each one of those blocks an issue, like cross-border ambulance services, like a cross-border corporation tax or excise duty, like a cross-border soccer team or radio licences. Each one of those could be tackled individually by the authorities uh, on these islands, but they're not being. But, and if we could dismantle each one of those blocks, it would, it would reduce the height of the border. It would make life better for people and make the transition to Irish unity on that sunny day very, very easier. Con- very contingent on what sort of Brexit we, we get a lot of but, that. But, but most of that actual cooperation can happen now. And I haven't seen the energy come from Sinn Féin, honestly, with regards to I fought for that approach. There's an idea that it should be the big referendum uh, on unity should be the approach but there's plenty of work we can do in advance. Do you, do you, Irish uh, what's your position on a border poll? Well, listen, I, I want to see an Irish independence uh, poll. I, I believe we should have self-determination on the island of Ireland. I think it's bananas. That, that we're sitting around here fretting as a, as, as a nation about Brexit. While, and, and the reason, because 
our self-determination on the island of Ireland is, is in the hands of the whims and the egos of a few Tories in Britain. Isn't it bananas that the Tories in Britain, who know nothing about our country and care little or, or less about our country, can still cause such... Uh, turmoil. It's also the whims and egos of a few Tories support, supported by the majority unionist party in Northern well, if, Ireland. If, but here it goes back to self-determination. If you go back to that simple premise that decisions are better when they're made closer to the people because the people can affect those decisions or they can hold the decision makers to account and yet the people in the north of Ireland decided to, to remain and that decision is, is thrown in the bin. But in terms of the real politic of holding a border pull in the foreseeable future, the next two years or whatever it might be, and there, there was obviously some controversy when Mary Lou MacDonald made a statement on that subject and then changed it uh, very quickly afterwards. Where, where would you stand well, on, To be honest, on that I think there has been a slide to a certain extent within Sinn Féin in the last number of years uh, with regards, they've, they've, they've sought, I think, to build bridges with the medium and with, with let's say, um, I think they've they've looked at a lot of uh, seats maybe in South Dublin that the Labour Party had, etc. And they've said maybe we should start, start to focus on trying to win those. Uh, and um, I think that, you know, I wouldn't have agreed with Mary Lou's idea that, you know, uh, that you should postpone uh, Irish unity in any way. Lord make us free, but just not right now. I, I wouldn't uh, uh, agree with that. I wouldn't agree with the idea as well. There's, there's a lot of, let's say, uh, like Mary Lou went to London in the last number of years and she asked London to legislate on three issues uh, on the north of Ireland. And I think it's the first time in 200 years where a Republican leader went to London to seek them to legislate on Ireland. In actual fact, for 200 years, it's been the opposite of the case. Republicans have gone to London and told them to stop legislating when it comes to Ireland. Uh, the party's been flying kites around the Commonwealth with regards to poppies uh, for a long period of time. So it's clear that the party sees its... Uh, place in the centre. European Union, we would see ourselves very much as a Euro-critical party. We're against uh, European federalism. We're against uh, European uh, militarism. We'd actually like to see the return of many powers from uh, Brussels. So I take from all that that you think that Sinn Féin has slipped away from what its core values would have been, say, 15 years ago. There's there's been no doubt that there has been a slip to the centre with regards to those values uh, from Sinn Féin. And that's, that's not to say there are good people within Sinn Féin. I, I would agree with that. There are many people who would ex- have exactly the same views as myself. But I would see that the leadership of the organisation. And that goes back to a, a little bit of another point that, that I think is problematic in Irish politics. Uh, while all organisations have the infrastructure of internal democracy, to greater or less extent, that internal democracy is less influential than it was previously. Decisions are being made at more centralised, higher levels. Is that not always the case in Sinn Féin? No, I, I think, you know, at, at, at Ordeshna, you would have seen far more robust debate, far more space for um, differences of opinion, uh, far more diversity of views. Uh, Sinn Féin was actually... Ordeshes, Sinn Féin Ordeshes that I watched always did what the leadership wanted. Well, like, They did have debates, but then they did yeah, what the leadership uh, wanted. To be honest, I, I would agree with you to a certain extent that um, there isn't enough... Um, what I would call membership empowerment with regards to the development of policy within Sinn Féin, but also within uh, other political organisations. And Fianna Fáil sure voted 80 to 90% to protect the Eighth Amendment. And then Billy Kelleher turned around and said, well, that's fine, but the parliamentary party will decide policy on this issue. And, and it's very clear, like they told, they basically gave the two fingers to the membership of Fianna Fáil just in the last bill that went through Leinster House. Well, I, I, I think 
they had a free vote on. They did, but like if, if you have ninety percent of your membership declaring, you didn't have, no, you had ninety percent of a, one room at the Ordesh. I'm not even sure it was ninety percent, but anyway, let's say it was, uh, it was eight, say, it doesn't, eight, it doesn't, okay between eighty to ninety percent of Fianna Fáil delegates. Okay, of uh, the delegates that voted attended a an event at the Ordesh. Yeah, but sure, it's the people who vote in referendums to make decisions. That's it's right. the people who attended all to make decisions. It's hard to, you know, discount that decision because I'm non-participant. But is your position then, I mean, as I understand it, your position uh, with regard to the new party on abortion is that members should have a free vote, that there would be a party well, see, policy, a pro-life party policy, but your members would have a free vote. Is that Yeah, like the party will, first of all, be 100% uh, for the, the, the human right to life for a start. It will have it in its constitution and within its policy. Uh, and but we will allow for and is the goal of that to overturn in a future referendum? No, well, like, uh, first of all, to we reinsert know, a constitutional we, we, ban. Or we know Ireland has changed radically over the last number of years, and you know there's a real politique with regards to what's happened. You know what we, we tried to get some very simple amendments through in the Dáil recently, which were trashed with regards to the number of votes. Some of those, like we thought, that pain relief would be uh, would be provided for an unborn child at the gestational age of 20 weeks, and that that would be, be put into the law. We, we thought that medical treatment would be given to a, a child that su- survives an, an abortion, and that would be put into the law. Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Labour and Sinn Féin voted against all of those amendments. So, like, we're not under any illusion with regards to changes. What, what well, I would say members is... Members had a free vote. What I would say is that we would, seek, from we would seek for those types of amendments to be introduced to the, to the legislation in the future. If we had... 15 or 20 TDs and we were in a position to be uh, part of a government, we would use those amendments as part of our bargaining uh, to actually see could we change the legislation there. Uh, but your TDs, if you had 15 or 20 TDs, they would have, if, if I understand your position yes. correctly, they would have a free would, vote would, on there those. Will, there will be a freedom of conscience within the party, but uh, there's... The freedom Which is precisely of, the no, same the, as the, Fianna Fáil the, and Fianna Gael. The freedom, the freedom of conscience will be different and this is, this is the point. The freedom of conscience won't go to the full scale of there, there is a, let's say a spectrum of views on abortion. Okay, and um, there will be no freedom of conscience for a purely pro-choice view within our organisation. But if there are people out there who see, let's say, for example, that abortion should be so, made, hold on, I just mean sorry, that abortion should be made available in the cases of, let's say, rape, incest, and life-limiting conditions. People who are, you know, on the spectrum of uh, of views, very close to our view. There will be space for those people. They will have a freedom of conscience, and they will be able to participate in. The but only up to a, only up to a point. To, to be honest, it's you know I can't see people who are radical pro-choicers uh, joining our organisation. Well, anyway. maybe if they agreed with you on two of your big platforms on economic justice and on uh, a united Ireland, but believed in uh, uh, but uh, you know believed in the, the woman's right to choose, maybe they might think, well, you know, uh, I can I don't I don't like the party's policy on. On, on, on that but yes. I, I agree with everything else they said but they, they're not people you want What I'm saying to you is that <clears throat> if, a, if a party doesn't have core values and if the party can't uh, communicate those core values especially a small growing party like our own that party will be very quickly punctured and be very quickly dead in the water and but what I'm saying to you is that people who are close to us some, we're, we're not like obviously we are 100% for the rights to life but people who are close to us in that political spectrum will also have a space. So, for, so for example, 34% of the population voted no in the referendum. Okay, that's a chunk of people we, we'll hope to appeal to. About 20% of yes voters, according to the RTE exit poll, 
voted yes, but only in those cases of rape, incest and the life-limited conditions, and who would oppose the legislation in the extremity that it is currently. And we would say there's no reason why we can't be able to build an alliance with those people, that, and those people would feel that they would have a home with us. Well, and in actual fact, I'll say that there are yes voters coming to our meeting who would actually articulate that view, that they voted for those very, very difficult and tragic cases, um, but they oppose the legislation in the extremity that we have it today. May I ask you in, in, in relation to that then, that there's one, as you say, one, you know, one third of the electorate voted, voted no in the last referendum, one third of the electorate or thereabouts voted no in the previous referendum. I mean, you made some reference to education and your position on education. Does your position on abortion exist within a larger construct of what some people would characterise as socially conservative issues on issues such as um, um, gay marriage, um, trans rights, perhaps the proposed liberalisation of divorce in the referendum, the, those sort of that broader range yeah. of issues. Well, first of all, I, I would disagree with the uh, the let's say the pigeonholing with regards to conservative and liberal on these. I wouldn't see an abortion as a liberal act uh, from for myself. And also, one of the points that we're coming to is in a liberal democracy, is you would have respectful um, participation of people with very different views. So the the whole actually basis of a liberal democracy is that it actually allows for uh, that diversity. That's um, no, I accept. You know, I, I accept and, that. And, and but that's, there, that's but what, there are a series of ethical positions which are, are connected, you know, and which, so are, which a group of people, the kind of people you're talking, shared by people. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and the other point is, as well that is a key platform of ourselves is we want actually TDs. While we'll have a, a very tight message and we'll have whips on certain issues, we actually want TDs to start to be able to think for themselves, to to question, uh, uh, like ask the hard questions. Uh, to stand against the prevailing winds of the time, if necessary. And there will be, I, I believe, a range of social issues where we won't have whips on uh, in the state. So, for example, I can't see uh, the needs to have a whip on the issue of uh, transgender rights. Now, my own view is, and I, I, and I think that I would uh, stand 100% behind the right of an adult to make to transition to a gender of uh, their choice. I personally believe that school kids at six years, six years old, I think that it's too young for a child to have to make a legal decision with regards to their uh, gender orientation at that age. I think that you know, decisions like that should be left uh, to when the child is older. I think that's a view as well that wouldn't be probably commonly held between Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Sinn Féin and Labour. I think there's probably convergence in those four parties mm-hmm. uh, on, on, that, on that particular issue. Liberalisation well. of divorce, for example. For example, I don't think that should be a, a whipped issue within the political party either. Um, because, you know, economic issues, and, and, and this is a key issue for us, like I actually believe that economic issues, while they are part of the currency of our conversation as a nation state, they've actually probably slipped down the agenda to a certain extent in uh, their importance. I believe that like, if, if you look at, for example, uh, Simon Harris, he attended the thinking, if that's the word you can use for, in Fine Gael recently, uh, with regards um, just before they got back together uh, this year. Monday, yeah. Yeah, no, no, this is the one before September. But I believe his only role at that thinking was to chair an event with regards whether or not nuns should be members of uh, the board of management of hospitals. Now, given that there's 750,000 people on waiting lists for, 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 for health, and many of those people's health would be actually getting worse while they're waiting and, you know, they would need more invasive uh, uh, health care at the end of the day. Given that there are 110,000 people on trolleys last year, given that we know that 300 people die every year from hospital overcrowding, that 2,500 kids wait for more than a year for their first mental health clinician meeting, 
that we have a situation that the culture wars seem to be so preeminent in the uh, political discourse. I would actually say it's in the interest of Leo Varadkar, who's positioned himself as this liberal shining knight, to actually distract many people, maybe I would say half the population, who are actually locked out of Leo's uh, recovery, to distract those people on these all these issues with regards transgender rights for six-year-olds or um, uh, nuns on boards of, of, of hospitals or... Um, you know, e- even issues of abortion, when we have so many people in serious economic crisis. 100,000 people in this country are working 40 hours a week currently in poverty. The idea that we would expect anybody to actually give all of their labour for a, a week's wage that doesn't allow them to pay for the, 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 the hierarchy of needs. And, and, and I think actually we need, to get, we need to crowbar the economic issues back up to the top of the agenda. There is a hierarchy of needs. It should, p- people need to feed themselves, need to roof their, their families, they need to gain access to healthcare and be able to educate their kids. They always need to come first. And it's funny because people try to pigeonhole us in to this one uh, uh, issue party when actual fact one of our major energies is to crowbar economic issues back up the agenda. Okay, well, let me actually, in, in terms of that, come back to something you said, I think, at the start of this conversation, which is you're seeking to tap into a, 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 a sort of a malaise or a discontent which we've seen manifest itself in very unpleasant ways in other countries in, in the United States and in some of the some of the Brexit dialogue in the UK. Um, our columnist, Peter O'Brien, went to one of your Dublin meetings, I think, and she was very positive, I think, about what she saw there. One of the things, one of the things she liked was the combination of the position on pro-life we know what Breda's uh, position is on that, along with um, a, a different economic approach from the previous pro-life party, which was Renewa. And I was interested that she also said that some of the people who attended that meeting were looking to raise the issue of immigration and that that was essentially rejected. Um, I'm not sure whether by yourself or by the other people at it. But there were people there who were looking for an outlet for perhaps a more, a more negative approach to immigration policy in Ireland, which is what we've seen in other countries. Well, one of the things I will say is I, I, I believe that it's important that there isn't taboo subjects in Ireland. And, and going back to the reason, because if there is a taboo subject, you'll find that most of that debate will be pushed underground. And actually, most of that debate will then get led by people who uh, will have who won't be uh, politically responsible whatsoever. And that's a dangerous thing for a start. The second thing I will say is this party very much feels that if a person is, is coming from a country of war, uh, famine or violence, that that individual has a right uh, according to, 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 the, to the UN rules to gain refuge in our country and we should as a decent country provide refuge for those people and that when those people are in Ireland that they cannot be discriminated against in, in any way that they're treated equally that the colour of their skin and the colour of their eyes and their religious background is neither here nor there with regards uh, their uh, engagement in this society. There, there are many people coming um, to, to me and, and, and discussing the issues around, let's say, economic migration. And the problem is we have a situation where many people in working class areas especially are actually competing for really scarce resources with economic migrants currently. And that, unfortunately, seems to be pitting those people against economic migrants. Now, I would make the point that the reason that those resources are scarce is because we have a neoliberal Leo in power who's actually, provo- who's actually keeping those resources scarce through his 
uh, economic policies. So I actually believe that Fine Gael's policies is an ingredient in a lot of the discontent that's happening around migration uh, at the moment. Do you think there's a problem, though, with economic migration per se? No, I, I don't. I think economic migration is a fact of life. There's, there's no way. King, it, it's a King Canute-like to say that you can stop the tide of movement of people in the future in the world. And actually, economic migration is an important part of any society, and there is a lot of benefits from it. But most, I will say, most but, countries control economic but, yes, migration. But, 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 but th- and this is the point that I'm making. It has to be sustainable and it has to be some level of managed migration. And the reason being is because last year, for example, 92,000 people came into the state and I think about 24,000 of those were returning Irish, etc. Now, if the country is going to be building 20,000 houses while having a migration level of 90,000 uh, people a year. Well, obviously, there are going to be capacity issues developing in the society, which is not good for the migrants and is not good uh, for people living here in this country either. And that's why I don't believe that this government has any plan to deal with the migration that's going to happen over the next years. As the labour market tightens in this country, there's no doubt we're going to see an acceleration of migration in Ireland. And if it's unmanaged, we're going to see the discontent currently happening uh, amongst some people who are in competition for those scarce resources. Uh, And ignoring the issue and not discussing it is not an option because one, it doesn't tackle the problem and two, it leads to that... um, But do you think there are suppressed resentments on this issue out there looking for an outlet? Like, do you find that given that you're out this talking to to people on the ground out there? There's no doubt that... I I talk to TDs all the time and they tell me that um, they're getting all these views and again, they're telling me, well, you know, I'm not going to talk about it because if you talk about it, you know, you're going to get branded... Uh, one way or the other on it. And and that's one of the problems in Irish politics. So many TDs won't actually say what they feel about certain issues. Now, I think if if you do the research and you have a decency within you and you communicate the issue respectfully, you should be able to give a perspective on an issue uh, uh, as important as this. And the fact that we don't see that in Irish politics means that when a fella like Casey comes along in a presidential election and actually you know, has no filter and says exactly what he, what he thinks, well, then you see a quarter of the population jump to vote for him. Um, the, the, the political system has become so stale in this country that most TDs now are, they go to their press office, they're, being, they're so tightly managed by their press offices, they consume a very tight brief, uh, briefing document and then they just regurgitate that briefing document uh, in, 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 in the, the, the local media or the national media. And there's very little space for actual sharing of views and real discourse that hammers out new ideas. And, and that limits the amount of voices that you have in Leinster House and it creates that groupthink that people are finding that's quite stifling at the moment. Pat, what, to what extent, just on that, on that point though, to what extent will you seek to kind of guide, you personally guide the policies of the new party? Because it struck me in, in Navin and reading the reports uh, of the other meetings since that one of the, the strengths that you hope to, uh, to engender in the new party is that it's very much from the grassroots up that people will, that, that the members membership will decide policy. What if the membership were to decide, say, a very restrictive or anti-immigrant policy? Would you be happy with proposing that? Well, first first of all, I I wouldn't be happy uh, with a very, very restrictive or or an anti-immigrant party because the word anti-immigrant to me, and and, and even the use of language around this is is, is quite, you'd be quite careful because if you say you're anti-immigrants, that means you're anti the immigrant in Ireland as well. Uh, And there's no way I could associate myself uh, with that whatsoever. But then the flip is you get, you said that you're for open borders and you're, you're etc. And actually nobody's for open borders. Everybody's for some level of management, management and control in that. Um, the reason why I want 
the party to be grasped. the Irish border, obviously. <laughs> well, there, it's, I was, the, the British border shouldn't exist in, in this country. And, and uh, you know, 100 years after we've had the, the, the first doll, which was obviously a, a national doll, I would say that, you know, we're learning that the, the idea that we don't have control of that border is, is to our, many unions is there to our detriment. Uh, the, the, the one thing I will say is a lot of the political parties are now develop their policies on the basis of focus groups, on opinion polls, and Twitter, right? Now, anybody who's in, in the management of these organizations tell you this is the scientific thing to do, and this is the way that people align. I would say there's one other tool that's used politically, and that's uh, TDs sticking their finger in the air. And that's one of the main tools used politically to find out which way they're going to do, to find out which way the wind is going to blow and actually to follow that. Now, what I would say is if you can create a political organization where the grassroots have a uh, a say over the, the direction of the party, where the leadership is actually a little bit scared of the grassroots, I think that's a far healthier situation. Now, in the end of the day, obviously, you can. my attitude is you need to be loyal to your objectives. Full loyalty to a party is a dangerous thing because if that party deviates from those objectives, you cannot remain loyal to that party anymore. I want to ask you one more uh, question, if I can, Hugh. Uh, Ask one, Pat. uh, You referenced the the debates on the abortion legislation uh, earlier. Um, when you put forward a number of amendments that were uh, that were, were voted down by the doll, I watched a lot of those uh, those debates, and one of the things that struck me about it was that there was quite a degree of bitterness between some of the Sinn Fein TDs and uh, and and yourself. What are your relations with them like now? Well, I'll say that that debate was the most aggressive debate I've ever I've ever experienced in the doll. Uh, Carol Nolan was driven to tears with regards to that particular debate and uh, I know I spoke to hardened robust TDs who said they weren't going to get involved in it because they'd have their heads taken off uh, if, if, if they did and I think the, the reason that aggressiveness came towards our direction was to shut down debate uh, to stop engagement and to tell us to go away that you don't have a right to, to put these views up. There are many decent people within Sinn Féin and I have good relationships with, with many of them. They're obviously you know um, some level of broken relationships there too and that's understandable that's to be expected uh, my objective is not to define myself with regards to my, the, my history within that organisation we'll define ourselves by our activism our policy and our representation and we hope to be able to beat Sinn Féin in all of those areas Pat I've got to give you the last word because you're the political editor you're here to give the diagnosis what are the chances of this new party making an impact? Well I think in some respects it's already making uh, making an impact. I think whether it becomes a fixture on the political landscape like every other party will depend on its electoral success. Nobody has been elected for this party yet. They'll get an opportunity to do that uh, in May when they will stand candidates in the local elections. I don't know if you intend to stand candidates in the European uh, elections and presumably uh, a general election whenever it follows, uh, they will stand, they will, uh, they'll, they'll stand candidates in that. That will be, that will be the test of the party. I would say for all the, and we've seen several, we've seen several new parties or new groupings take shape in, in the, in the wake of the fracturing of Irish politics that uh, that, that the, the recession and the period of austerity occasioned, I would have thought that this party, given that it has a base, uh, a loyal base of voters in uh, amongst pro-life voters, has a better chance than uh, than several of the parties we've seen of making an impact. Well, there you hear it. And one last chance to tell us what the name is. 
Yes, well, I'd, I'd love to, but um, you'll find out very shortly. It's an Irish name, it's two syllables, it's easy to say, and it reflects our ethos with regards to unity. Well, any of our listeners can uh, tweet us and tell us what they, th- what they think it is. We'll find out very soon. Pater Tobin, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks also to Pat Leahy, to our producer Declan Conlon and engineer JJ Vernon today. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. You can find find us on Spotify also these days. You can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can usually find me on Twitter. But until the next time, thanks for listening.